Hello, hello, welcome. My name is Rachel Amaday. You are listening to the spiritual exercises, and this is where we just discuss everything biblical, cultural, and the Christian response to what's going on in our world and environment. And also, how are we to read the Bible and see what it actually says versus what perhaps newer doctrine or Catholic doctrine or man-made doctrine says? We want to know what the Bible actually tells us because it's God's letter to us, and we value that, and we value Him. So that's what we do here. And today... I'm basically wanting to discuss what should the believer's response to the crazy cultural onslaught of wickedness be. We had a fascinating dinner last night with some friends, and this came up in discussion quite a bit. And, you know, I feel like people all over the United States, especially, are having these sorts of discussions, even in non-believing homes, where they're looking at what's happening with culture, they're looking at what's happening with schools, they're looking at what's happening with mandates, you name it, and they're secretly kind of sitting around their tables going, I don't agree with this. I don't think this is right. This isn't freedom to me. This seems like a tyranny that I wasn't prepared for. And so I feel like we need to have really good answers for how to address this and how should the believer address this? And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't have all the answers here. A lot of this stuff has happened so recently and so quickly, and I think believers have not been prepared for it. Yet we do see in scripture some examples, and we'll talk about those, of how people, how God had people respond to really, truly wicked cultures. But um, one thing I will note, My book is finally available, and I am happy with at least the cover print quality. I know there's going to be mistakes in it, you guys. It's my first book, and it's my editor's first book editing, and so there's going to be stuff in there that's probably not perfect. However, I'm really excited to share the content with you and the heart with you, and my book explores some of these issues and where we need to relook at whether or not our obedience is in alignment. But I do also talk about quite a bit in the book, politics. How is the believer supposed to address and look at politics? How are we supposed to interact with that? What about technology? How are we supposed to be interacting with technology? How does God perceive our use of technology? Um, I talk about worship and what worship really is and how we we have so many things we can worship. And is the church doing worship? Are we talking about worship correctly? Are we really using that term rightly? What about the type of music that we're using now? Is it is it good enough? Is it leading people into the presence of the Lord properly? All sorts of things. So my book does address some of this. Um, I also talk about you know, gender confusion, all sorts of things, the family, how cultural has been coming after the family and just how precious the family is to the Lord. And hopefully giving you guys some really great apologetics, some really great logic, some really great thoughts that you can take out into culture and use, because this is a place where I believe too many pastors have failed. Too many pastors have not equipped their congregants with good answers to the wickedness of culture. And 
it is important actually in scripture we're taught to have a good answer right for every question to be well educated is actually the responsibility of a believer we're supposed to go to church and actually learn something that we can take with us and kind of have a good foundation and a good why you know if your why isn't aligned it's really hard to get your what right what am i doing has to be answered with why and so in a time period where the average believer seems to have been blindsided by this cultural onslaught that promotes wickedness, whether it's grooming of minors from companies like Disney to forced medical experimentation of employees by trusted companies and even friends, the rise of Satanism in the public square and the shock of a lack of education in public schools being replaced by Marxism and once again grooming by those that we've trusted with our children. In the last few years, there has been such a rise in anti-biblical behavior. And to me, there's just no wonder that the believer feels overwhelmed and sideswiped and completely unprepared. And you pair that with, like I mentioned, pastors, many of whom have bowed the knee to the woke mob instead of educating in love and truth. And we have a recipe right now, in my opinion, for mass confusion among those who call themselves followers of Yeshua. It is no wonder people are asking, what are we to do? Because we disagree with what's going on, but we're so worried about not seeming loving and kind because that's our call, right? Our call is to love people the way God loves people. And so what does that mean? Again, in my book, I, I talk about what is love actually, and how we define love is a big deal. And if we're not defining love the way God, who is love, has defined love, then we're not enacting love. What we're actually enacting is the same tyranny that we've seen happen time and again throughout human history. So we need to understand what God's love really means. And we should never use the idea of kindness and mercy as a battering ram against the truth because it is only God's truth that sets people free. And so we must be bold in answering some of these questions. So how are we supposed to hammer this out? and take each issue one by one. So those of you who've been maybe living in a cave for the last few years might be wondering, which issues is she talking about exactly? And I will be happy to delineate them. Why don't we start with the complete attack on the family that's been going on? And that's been going on for a long time in culture, right? It isn't a recent trend. However, we've been seeing from companies like Disney, people who create our entertainment, people who create um, our public school environment, coming after the idea of a mother and father in a home and the idea of that union creating life and trying to absolutely normalize all sorts of things to very young children that young children really we we I think most normal people agree should not be thinking about the sexual partnership or gender identity of anyone that's really none of their concern when you're that young you haven't had that crazy hormone stuff that happens as a teenager you are not thinking about that you should have an innocent childhood, and we believe in protecting childhood innocence. But if you steal that from children, you have already done major damage to the family, and you've done damage to their potential future family. I've talked about in podcasts recently the 
many studies that show just introducing certain ideas to people plants a seed in their mind that those ideas are actual options. We don't want to do that with a really, really young person because you can do all sorts of damage to their psychology and personality. And in the long run, if they make decisions that they would not have made later on, some of those decisions cannot be undone. And so we've got an attack mostly on children, but it really comes after the entire family unit unit happening in culture. And we see that everywhere. That's quite obvious, right? Um, we see, I think, a push for schools and um, daycares and all of that to take over the job of the parents. And this idea that your teacher could love you as much as your parents or as well as your parents, which is absolutely absurd. There's a reason that parents are supposed to be the ones protecting their children. Parents will love their children better than anybody. And yes, I know there are some bad parents out there and there are some crazy families out there, but we should fix that, not hand over all of that responsibility to the state. We really need great parents and great families. And that's where we should have our focus. Um, so that's one of the issues that I think has been coming at us lately. I think there's been a rise of Marxism uh, combined with fascism coming at our education system for quite a long time. And it rears its ugly head under all sorts of different names, whether it's, you know, CRT, um, you've got social emotional learning, you've got all sorts of things. They, they don't use those terms anymore because now people have kind of caught on. They're using other terminology or they're just inserting information into texts and that sort of thing. But um, I think these things in the end are meant to be divisive. They are not unifiers and they are taking us in the opposite direction of what the Bible tells us, which is that before the Lord, there's no race, gender, or class. God cares about your character. He does not care about the color of your skin. And this was Martin Luther King's dream. And this should be our dream. As believers, we should love people, all people, because in God's eyes, all people are created equal. That is foundational to our faith. Anything outside of that is meant to divide. And what I'm seeing are forms of Marxism a lot, but we also have kind of tyrannical fascism taking place where there is these giant partnerships between corporations and the government and media and the government to either propagandize people or to spy on and watch and intimidate people and take away their, you know, whether it's freedom of speech or ability to be in a certain public square or even their ability to work, right? So we have major amounts of fascism taking place right now, along with violations of Nurem the Nuremberg Code with the mandated you-know-whats. And so I think that's another thing that believers were not prepared for in the last few years. This just seemed to come out of nowhere. And everybody's going, what does God say about this? How are we supposed to respond? What, you know, we had uh, biblical leaders, people that others looked to tell Christians, you need to get this thing or do this thing because that's love. That's God's love. And so can we find that in the Bible? Are they are those biblically based ideas or are those just what they hoped Christians would do because they wanted to look good socially? You probably already know my opinion, but it's something that the believers had to deal with. And we've had to grapple with what's going on here. What is love? 
How do we enact love to other people when something like this is going on? Right? So we have that. We have, I think, a massive rise in just terrible messaging in entertainment, whether it be violence or pornographic material or the combination. I think what we are putting into our minds has been absolutely destructive. So, and that's one of my main main issues, my focuses is social media and media use. What are the messages actually being put out there? Is it good? Is it not good? And the most of what I see seems to be really negative. And um, I'm starting another podcast with my sister about motherhood in media. Um, and I think it's called Motherhood on Camera. But we are talking about how our mothers portrayed in media. And wow, is it interesting to analyze these different generic types that Hollywood is putting out there for motherhood. And I'm not sure we're really encapsulating what great mothers are. And so I'm excited about those discussions, but not a fan of what the media has been doing for the most part in the last few years either. So we've got We've got a lot of issues that believers are trying to tackle. What about the rise of violence in multiple cities and places across the country, including my beloved Denver, where it is difficult to go down there and feel safe a lot of the time. A lot of times when you park your car, you're concerned about it. There's a lot of rise in violence. In fact, Denver has become the number one city for if for uh, car theft. I think in the world, I want to know, I, I know at least in America, it's possible it's in the world. This is a giant problem. And do believers get to have a say in that from a biblical worldview of how to deal with crime and the rise in drug use and the rise in fentanyl and these opioid epidemics, these things that are happening in our culture that are affecting our young people? So we got a lot going on that I don't think believers were prepared for. Uh, the abortion issue, man, has that been just a lightning rod issue and have gotten into so many discussions with people. Are believers really prepared to go out and have those discussions? And so here's how I've seen a lot of believers respond to the cultural onslaught, okay? Typical responses are sometimes anger. They are really angry Okay. And that comes across and they, they get, you know, they devolve on social media and kind of get out of control and lose their main point and lose their audience, honestly, when that happens, but it happens often. They get terrified. They, you know, they don't know what to do. And so they don't say anything. They don't do anything. They just sit back and hope it's all going to pass, you know, putting their heads in the sand and pretending like this isn't happening. Um, they have complete acceptance for a lot of believers, they've just decided, nope, we're going to be okay with all of this. We're just going to go along to get along. We are going to be seen as the most merciful people out of all these people in this situation. We're not going to do anything whatsoever about it. We're going to love it and accept it. Um, people get into arguments, you know, typical responses. They're just human responses, right? Different people respond differently and different people have different fears and different triggers. And so people are responding differently. Are these biblical responses. So I first want to bring up, I think I brought up this example last week, but there's this verse where Jesus takes a coin and he looks at it and they're discussing basically taxes, you know, and, and ownership of, of finances. And he looks at the coin and on it is Caesar's head. And he says, we'll give to Caesar what is Caesar's. This coin has Caesar's head on it. 
Well, I just want to remind the believer that you are made in God's image. According to Christ, if there is an imprint of somebody's image on something, it means it belongs to that person. Just like the coin that had the imprint of Caesar's head on it belonged to Caesar, you are an imprint of the Lord and you belong to God. Every human being belongs to the Lord. He made each and every person. And so just to remember, number one, that God will have control in the end. These things, these people, this planet, it belongs to him. It is his creation. And so when you come from that position of God's got it, I think all of a sudden there's a couple of things that already fall away. Fear for one. If I'm supposed to go out and have a conversation with somebody that's pretty honest, I can take the fear out of it if God's called me to that conversation. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit lead it, and I'm going to let the outcome belong to the Lord. And that is a great feeling to take the fear out of it. Anger. You know, you might think you have every right to be angry. The The guy who really has a right to be angry about what's going on and the destruction of his creation is the Lord God Almighty. And he is the one who will come and return and return things to the way that he wants them. There are these verses in scripture that say or call people kind of out of the system of Babylon. So what we're experiencing is I think a full on onslaught of a Babylonian system. And there's lots of great resources out there, you guys, if you want to understand ancient Babylon, where all the pagan gods came from. I mean, really all of them can be traced back to this guy Nimrod, which you will find in scripture. He is the beginning of the many gods worshiping, okay? And I think he he became kind of a hybrid with Satan in the Old Testament. And so you if you want to understand Babylon and the Babylonian system, you you want to understand Nimrod and then the history of the gods that came from Nimrod and Nimrod worship and Babylon. And in Revelation it says come out of Babylon. Well, we see this happening throughout scripture. We see that Lot and his family had to leave Sodom and Gomorrah. They were told this place is going to go down in flames. And despite Abraham attempting to find, you know, 10 righteous people, once that city was done, it was done. And God called his people out of it. There was no fight left for it. It was over. One of the things that that city was judged on was their unrighteous judges. They had evil, wicked judges. And how many times in Proverbs does it say that God despises um, unrighteous weights, basically, the people who are judging unrighteously? God despises that. And so glimmer of hope for the believer in the United States of America. Um, I do believe that all of a sudden at the, you know, at the federal level, at the top level, we have righteous judges. I think this is just a chance for the believer to take that opportunity to look at that boldness in righteous judgments, to rejoice with the Lord about that, and to decide, okay, you know what? God is still working, and he's giving us a chance here. He's giving us a chance to turn things around and to be encouraged because Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed for unrighteous judges. So you got, you want great judges. That's a big deal spiritually. And it seems like we have some good ones right now. I think about Clarence. If you guys don't know Clarence Thomas's story, you should look it up. That guy is, is a great man. 
<laughs> and he has a fascinating history with Biden. And so the timing could not be less coincidental for everything that's happened. Just an interesting side note. Um, but God called Lot and his family right out of wickedness. Um, and I think God does that. He sets his people apart. So Noah, right, he had to be so unique for the hundred years he was building the ark, so unique from the wickedness that was going on around him. And what he did during that time was pure obedience to the Lord, right? He just did what he was told. Man, I think Noah is a great example of what our response needs to be right now. We need to be seeking obedience in every corner, at every turn, putting our own wishes aside and asking the Lord, how do I obey you? What do I do right now? Because God might be asking some of us to build an ark. And we don't know why, and we don't understand what's going to be coming, but we might be a rescue. And if we're not willing to be obedient, if we're just going to go along to get along and be part of the culture, we're not building the ark. And so I think Noah's a great example to look to in scripture of how to deal in a wicked generation. What should our response be? It should first be to ask the Lord and to go to scripture and return and repent and become fully obedient to God. Proverbs says it again over and over, do not envy the wicked. One of the strange responses that I have seen from believers is enviousness of the success of woke culture or the success of certain politicians or the success of evil people. Why are evil people so successful? Well, hey, we're living in Babylon, right? There's this system all around us that has been set up to reward certain behavior in a, you know, after a certain amount of time. And you can't help it. You can't help but look at the system that we're under. And it kind of seems to be rewarding the worst. And the worst, you know, is getting all the playtime and all the fame and all the money. You know, that's what it seems like a lot of the time. But God works differently than the system of Babylon. And I'm encouraged by that, actually. That God doesn't work that way. He, he just uses the underdog time and time again. And I really believe when the Holy Spirit came in Acts, that God was saying, my word, my law, my truth is going to be written on the hearts of my people. That will be unbreakable. It's not going to be in just one location on stone. It's not going to be just through one guy, Noah. This is going to be through disciples all over the planet. God has dispersed his power among all of his people who are faithful to him all over the world. That is an unbreakable movement, you guys. Aren't you glad that it's not all kind of coagulated in the top 1% somewhere, but it's dispersed through so many average, your ordinary person whose faith will be unbreakable when it's needed. There are people in cities, there are people in the country, there are people here, there are people in Africa, there are people in Asia, there are people in the Middle East, there are people who are faithful to God everywhere, and they're not the names you get to hear and see all the time, but they are faithful believers. I love that. So do not envy the wicked. The wicked, the proverb says the wicked's lamp is going to go out eventually. God's going to put their lamp out. They're not going to get to have that fame forever. They're going to have to face their life. And so are you. And so don't be envious of those who seem to be having success at such a time. It doesn't mean they're bad or good, 
But if you know that they're producing wicked stuff, do not have any envy for that. That does not lead to anywhere good. And you don't want to follow in that path. Have a good answer for everything. This is my next, I think, response the believer needs to have. In each issue where you feel a passion or a concern, take that passion, take that anger, take that energy and put it towards something positive, which could be towards research. It could be towards volunteering at your church if you haven't yet. It could be towards volunteering with organizations who help, let's say, young women who are thinking about getting abortions and help them have their children and help them get set up for success. You know, maybe maybe your issue is you really want to take back the school system and make it safe for little kids. Well, you got to get on the school board. You got to see what who, who's choosing curriculum and why. You got to get in there to understand it. And don't, you know, use your anger for the energy, but what you take into those situations is the love of God and the Holy Spirit and curiosity. I always find if I ask a lot of questions and I'm curious, boy, do I get so much information. And I feel more like I can be objective and I can be who I want to be. So I think go in with a curious attitude, looking to ask, looking to understand, and then being able to make a difference once you've made relationships and once you've understood the situation. So get, you know, get motivated, get educated, even if it's just doing the research so that when you're in conversation with your friends and family, you know it so well that emotion doesn't need to come into play. You don't have to get angry, upset. You can have a good answer that is logical. And honestly, I think that's a great position for the believer to be in. Be the most well-educated person in the room. Every room you walk into, you'll never feel like you need to get upset, honestly. Um, and as I said previously, I think become stubborn in your obedience. And that stubbornness, we find examples of that through all of scripture. When you see the disciples constantly being beaten and imprisoned and told they have to stop sharing the good news, they consistently say, nope, this is what I'm called to do. And they didn't have a lot, right? Their possessions were few. I'm sure they, I, I can't even imagine spreading the gospel after being bodily beaten almost to death, right? Which some of them were. I can't even imagine what that took. But that is stubborn obedience. That is, I do not care what I lose. This word and this truth is too important. For us, that might mean we don't watch most TV programming anymore. We don't let our kids just be on the computer. We take away the iPhone from our children because if we're not really paying attention to what they're watching, we think we're raising our kids, but we're not. The media is raising our kids. And you don't want the media raising your kids, you guys. Right? That's stubborn obedience. That's deciding, no, we take a stand. We don't put anything into our minds that the Holy Spirit can't be present for. Why do we put the Holy Spirit through that? If we want the Holy Spirit to be present with us, we better not be doing things that the Holy Spirit doesn't want to be around for. We better not be ingesting things that the Holy Spirit has said are abominable. Okay? There's all sorts of choices we can make to be stubborn. But when you come across this stuff in your workplace, when you come across this stuff in your everyday environment, I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure it's the easiest answer. I think you've got to ask the Holy Spirit. 
Number one, you know you're not going to participate in the wickedness. That's that's just a for sure. But when to have those conversations with people and when to keep quiet? Who's really going to be open? Who's not? When you need to leave a company and when you're supposed to stay? When it's time to make those sorts of life changes when you need to move? And when, you know, that to me, those are prayerfully considered things because I don't find a lot of legal ramifications or legal direction from scripture on those sorts of situations. But I do believe if you become well-educated, if you know you're going to be stubbornly obedient to the Lord, if you drop your envy and your fear and your anger and your rage, if you are able to look at things from a Holy Spirit perspective, you're going to be a lot better off. And I hope you go to scripture for those encouraging people. Listen, think about how wily and sly and thought out Esther's plan was when she went to rescue the entire Hebrew people from a horrible dictate by someone in public office. I mean, she's inviting people to dinner and she is dressing up to make herself look gorgeous and wanted. And she is, when the moment came, when the moment's right, she's bold. Okay, so she does it right. She's a great example. Go read the story of Esther, right? Go go read how charming and how thought out some of the people in the Old Testament were because they knew when to be bold, right? And when not to be. And think about David. He, he goes out, he's insulting Goliath when he goes out. He is calling him all sorts of names, calling him vile. He's calling out the wickedness that's in front of him boldly. He had no problem doing it. And then he went out and he slayed that giant. Obviously, we're not going to be in that sort of battle, I don't think. (laughs) Um, I hope not. I hope we're not in that sort of battle. But you can take those same principles of God, guide me on when I need to say something and when I should stay quiet. God, guide me on when I need to build a relationship like Esther did and when it's just time for me to lead. Leave, you know, God guide me in how I do this. And, you know, God will help you. I really believe God helped my husband and I take a stand on things these last couple of years. And we sacrificed, we actually had to give up a lot to take those stands. It was painful. But we believed and we saw in scripture the realization that there were things that we just could not do. We could not kowtow to because we believed God told us not to and that it was scriptural. And I am so glad we had that practice. We were still kind to others in that process. I don't feel bad about any of the discussions I had with people. I was honest, but it was all because I cared. There's another verse we read in Proverbs today. You're supposed to save a man who's stumbling on his way to death. You're supposed to rescue people before they just get overtaken by death. We have this responsibility to be preservers. We're salt and light to show people where the cliff is. That's what light does. And to keep things, God's things preserved, that's what salt does. So we have a responsibility to do this well. So if you're feeling that difficulty of how do I respond, just know you're not alone, but there are some things you could decide to do today that would engage your emotion and direct it. And you never know how God is going to use that piece of education or that change in life that you make or that stand that you take. You never know what God will do with it. But what I will tell you, 
I, I will tell you this now out of experience, you will be proud of yourself. You will care later that you did it. It will change your life and it will make a difference in your heart. So I hope this has been a little bit of an encouragement for you. And if you have some other ideas of how are believers supposed to respond to what's going on right now culturally, please email me. I'm not one of those people that believers aren't supposed to engage in culture. I think believers throughout all of scripture are constantly engaging in culture to save people's lives. So, you know, I'm not, I I don't really want to debate that because I think there's too many examples in scripture, but I do think we need to have the right response. And I'd love to hear what you are doing to respond. I wish you all the best with a lot of love guys. 